Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In the sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations. Because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. Today, I'm sharing one new conversation from our In Goop Health Wellness Summit. It's with Matthew Walker, one of the biggest luminaries in the sleep space. Matthew is a professor of neuroscience and psychology at UC Berkeley and the New York Times bestselling author of Why We Sleep. He has conducted some of the most compelling and important research on sleep and how it impacts our health, our emotions, and our communities. It was fascinating to sit down with Matthew and talk about why so many of us struggle with this essential part of our well-being. He explains what happens when we make slight shifts to prioritize sleep, particularly for teenagers. And he shares both his scientific perspective and practical advice for getting the best night of rest. Mostly, he says, sleep doesn't have to be elusive. And there are simple things we can do to increase the quality of our sleep, starting with not stressing about it. So let's get to my conversation with Matthew Walker. I'm excited to be talking about a part of our well-being that really fascinates me, which is our sleep. Will you just tell us a little bit about your background for context so everybody gets a sense <laughs> of, of who you are and your amazing accomplishments? I don't know if they're amazing, but yeah, I'm a professor at UC Berkeley. I've been studying sleep for about 20 years. And why? I think many of us are accidental sleep researchers. You know, no one, when you're a kid in the classroom and the teacher says, what would you like to be when you grow up? <laughs> you know, no one's shooting their hand up saying, I desperately love to be a sleep researcher. <laughs> and so I was studying for my PhD work, different types of dementia, and trying to see how their brainwave activity could differentiate very early on what type of dementia that they had. And I was failing miserably. I was getting no good results. 
And I used to go home at the weekends in the doctor's residence and I'd have this little, little igloo of journals that I would sit in at the weekend and, and actually I'm now realizing, like tells you everything about my social life at the weekend. I'm like, that's what I'm doing. But, um, and so I was reading one weekend how some of these dementias would eat away at the sleep centers and others would leave those sleep centers untouched. And so I realized I was measuring my patients at the wrong time, which was when they were awake. I should be measuring them when they're asleep. Mm. Started doing that, got some great results. And then at that point, I wanted to ask the fundamental question, is the sleep disruption that I'm seeing not a symptom of the dementia, is an underlying cause mm. of the dementia? And that set me on a path of, I just fell in love with this thing called sleep. It has been a love affair that's never left me. I think it is the most beguiling topic in all of science. I'm desperately biased. <laughs> but yeah, I fell for it pretty hard. In the book, you sort of have this opening thesis around why, why do we sleep? Like it's for, for a long time, the, the biological impulse to eat and to procreate was very well understood. But sleep, why we need sleep was not very well understood by the medical community. <laughs> yeah. So you pose this wonderful question about like, what's the point? Like, why, why do we sleep? What are the benefits of it? And what are the evolutionary purposes of it? Yeah. So I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about how you turned that question on its head. It is funny that I think even 20 years ago or 10 years ago, we used to ask the question, why do we sleep? And the simple and crass answer, or the best answer we had, was that we sleep to cure sleepiness, which tells you nothing about the benefit. You know, it's like saying, I eat to cure hunger. Right. No, you don't eat to cure hunger. There's lots of nutritional reasons. And now, following you know, a couple of decades of really groundbreaking research, we've had to upend the question. Mm. And we've had to ask instead, is there any operation of your brain or is there any fundamental system of your body that isn't wonderfully enhanced when you get sleep or demonstrably impaired when you don't get enough? Right. And the answer seems to be no. And you can look across all of your systems. So for example, if we have someone who's sleeping just five hours a night for one week, their blood sugar levels are disrupted so significantly that they would be classified as being pre-diabetic. We also know that one night of just four hours of sleep will drop critical anti-cancer fighting immune cells called natural killer cells by over 70%. Mm. So that's a striking state of immune deficiency. People who sleep seven hours or less are almost three times more likely to become infected by the rhinovirus, which is what we call the common cold. And I think now, in a nutshell, what we could say is sleep is perhaps the single most effective thing that you can do each and every day mm -hmm. to reset your brain and body health. But I love your question about sort of the evolutionary side of it too. When you think about sleep, it's the most idiotic <laughs> of all behaviors. You know, because when we're sleeping, we're not reproducing, we're not finding a mate, we're not caring for our young. We're not foraging for food. We're vulnerable. And we're still, we're vulnerable to predation. You know, right. on any one of those grounds, but especially as a collective, sleep should have been strongly selected against during the course of evolution. Right. And if sleep doesn't serve an absolutely vital set of functions, plural, 
it's the biggest mistake the evolutionary process ever made. <laughs> right. And Mother Nature didn't make a spectacular blunder. Right. No, absolutely. When you think about how sleep-deprived so many of us are, like I know, you know, we hear all of the ways in which we're deleteriously affected by not sleeping, blood sugar, we get hungry when we don't sleep, we're, right. we can't function as well. And I think there are, I would imagine, some people who might have a difficult time falling asleep or staying asleep, and certainly the many, many, perimenopausal women. Yeah, we very much so, yeah. So why, why can't we sleep? What happens when we can't sleep if it's so essential to our, all of our functions? Like, why can't we sleep? Why are so many of us struggling? I think the global sleep loss epidemic, as I think about it throughout most developed nations, has multiple causes, you know, and it starts at a cultural level, particularly in business, where we have this almost sleep machismo attitude, right. where people are, have this sort of braggadocio of how proud they are of sleeping so little. Right. Or it's embarrassing to sleep in, right? Exactly. You're we, lazy if you're... It's got a... Sleep has got an image problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whoever the PR agent is for sleep should be fired because we associate people getting sufficient sleep, and I choose that word quite carefully, with this idea that you're slothful, that right. you are lazy. And I find that peculiar because we don't always have that opinion in life. Mm -hmm. And what I mean is that no one would look at an infant sleeping during the day and say, well, what a lazy baby. <laughs> <laughs> because we know at that time of life, sleep is non-negotiable, right. absolutely essential. But now if you look at the data, somewhere between infancy and even childhood, not only do we stop celebrating the notion that sleep is right. essential, we abandon that mentality and then we chastise it by these sort of derogatory labels. Right. So I think the first issue is that we've got a societal image problem with right. sleep. Then I think you can step down and you can think about schools this incessant model of early school start times. If you look at recent surveys, I think something in the region of 7.45 to 7.30 a.m. is the standard start time across America. Mm -hmm. For a 7.30 start time, some school bus systems will begin leaving at 5.30 in the morning. That means some kids are having to wake up at 5.15, 5 o'clock, even earlier. Right. This is lunacy. Right. And when we change those school systems, which I've been lobbying for, for, for many uh, years now, and California has been leading the way in that sense, mm. we see stunning results. Mm -hmm. Firstly, academic grades increase, behavioral problems decrease, mm -hmm. truancy rates decrease, mm -hmm. psychological and psychiatric referrals decrease. And then finally, something that really surprised us, the life expectancy increased. Really? And we start thinking, well, but how do you measure that? The leading cause of death in teenagers 16 to 18 is actually not suicide. That's second. It's road traffic accidents. Mm. And here sleep matters enormously. There's a great example from Teton County in Wyoming. They shifted their school start times from 7.35 to 8.55. Mm. The kids slept at least an hour more, but the more remarkable thing is that that following year, there was a 70% drop in car crashes in that 16 to 18-year-old range. Amazing. 
And to put that in context, as many people have experienced today, the advent of ABS technology, anti-lock brake systems, mm. that prevent your wheels from locking up, that dropped accident rates by 20 to 25%, right. <laughs> and it was deemed a revolution. But here is something as simple mm. as sleep, and it can have that kind of a benefit. So I think it, it's there in the school systems that if we as educators are truly interested in educating and we don't want to risk lives in the process, then we're failing our children in the most spectacular mm. manner with this model of early school start times. Then I think we can start to think about the individual themselves, and this gets to what you were mentioning. A lot of us are struggling either with falling asleep or staying asleep. And these are the two main flavors of what we think of as insomnia. Mm. So it's what we call sleep onset insomnia, I can't fall asleep. Sleep maintenance insomnia, I can't stay asleep. And they're not mutually exclusive. You can have right. both of them. We actually did a study where we went out and we studied hunter-gatherer tribes whose way of life has not changed for thousands of years. And when we were asking the question, you know, what sort of sleep difficulties do you have? They really struggled to understand the question. <laughs> and what we found is that the rates here in sort of most first world nations of insomnia, somewhere between 15 to 20%. Mm. That we found it was below 2%. So modernity in some ways has dislocated us from so many of the natural edicts that co-opt this thing called good sleep. From excessive light in the evening to not enough light during the day, to things such as excessive caffeine. But also I think one of the biggest prohibitors that we're seeing of sleep right now is stress and anxiety. Yeah. That is just off the charts. It is by far and away anxiety, the most common psychiatric condition. And it's the principal model that we have within the brain of how insomnia works, mm. which is that your fight or flight branch of the nervous system is ramped up too much. And that actually needs to shut off for sleep to arrive with alacrity and for you to stay asleep. And I think that's why we're starting to see now at my sleep center a lot of cases that I would describe as wired and tired, where they come in and they say, look, I'm so tired. I'm so desperately, desperately tired, but I'm so wired that I can't seem to fall asleep. And so I think it's both at the, for the individual level, it's about things that we're putting into our body, it's the things that we're exposing our body to, and it's just this terrible mental stress that so many of us are experiencing. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. CarbonX is an environmental company that aims to empower people to make a positive impact on the planet. They've created a simple platform to help you make up for your carbon emissions by supporting climate-friendly projects. You can earn shareable badges based on how long you've been offsetting, and your subscription will go towards supporting new initiatives and carbon offsetting projects that have been independently verified to have removed CO2 from the atmosphere. You can choose a project that is meaningful to you, such as planting trees in deforested regions of the Amazon and investing in energy efficient and renewable resources around the world. For the Goop podcast team, CarbonX wanted to cover our team's carbon footprint. They donated a subscription for us to support an energy-efficient cook stoves program in Uganda. To learn more about CarbonX, head to their website at carbonx.com. That's carbon with a K-X.com or download the CarbonX app. Okay. 
let's get back to the conversation. Going back to the kids, is that agnostic across all ages? Because like I remember mm. when my son was six, he was up at six in the morning and now he's 15 and I'm like dragging his ass out of bed, you know, <laughs> in time for school. So yeah. is, were they looking at high school, like middle school and high schoolers? Should, those, should, the, should that cohort be allowed to sleep later? So we, we've thought a lot about this because as you age, so everyone has what we call a chronotype. Are you a morning type, evening type, or somewhere in between? And how do you discern that about yourself? So you can go online and you can take something called the morningness, eveningness questionnaire or the MEQ. Is this about, on your website? It's not on my website, okay. but it's out there on Google. It's I'm really easy. I'm trying to promote you. To, uh, I know, I'm terrible with self-promotion. I'm sort of, <laughs> yeah, that's why on social media, I use not my name, but something else because I'm so embarrassed. And, and But anyway, I think the, so you can do this test and it will tell you what type you are. There's a simpler question, which is the following. If you're on a desert island, no one to wake up for, nothing to do, it's up to you what time would you naturally think yeah. that you would like to go to bed and naturally wake up? And that can help you get closer right. to morning type, evening type. Didn't quarantine kind of give us, in a way, that opportunity, right? Because we weren't setting alarms to drive kids to school or to go to work. Yeah, I described it as a revenge of the night owls. <laughs> right. That, you know, if there are some upsides to this you know, really difficult time that we've been to. It's that people have started to sort of reunite themselves more so with their natural rhythms. Right. So... I mean, I was getting... I know you work with Aura Ring, which we're all obsessed with at Goop. Yeah, do it, yeah. And my, my Aura Ring during quarantine started sending me notifications like, it's 5.45 p.m., you better start preparing for sleep. <laughs> because, like, am I this old? But we were getting into bed so early. Yeah, it, they all got a bit confused, didn't I they, the sleep so. trackers? I know. It's like, what? I think... Didn't get the memo. But So I mentioned this because although your chronotype is largely set at birth, and there's about nine different genes that we've now discovered that oh, dictate what... So it's basically point um, to first mention, it's not your fault Right. if you're an evening type. And here again, the stigma applies. We think evening types, just get it together, get to bed early, you'll be fine. Right. That's a really great way to cause yourself sleep onset insomnia. So when people tell me I can't fall asleep, first question I ask is, what time do you go to bed? And then I'll ask, what time would you normally like to, do you think your natural rhythm would be? Mm. I say, well, I've got to get up for work, which I understand, of course, at 6 a.m. So I try to get into bed by 10, 10.30. But at the weekend, normally I like to go to bed at 12.30, 1 a.m. That's when I feel tired. Right. You don't have insomnia. You have a mismatch between your chronotype and the time that you're forcing yourself mm. into bed, which is when your brain doesn't want to be Interesting. awake. But even though it's set across our lifespan, it changes. Right. Because young kids, they are definitely more, of course, morning types than much to the chagrin of new parents. When you want to try and sleep in at the weekend, <laughs> they're bouncing on the bed and you think, oh my God, I love you, but not right now. <laughs> and then as they go through teenagehood, they actually fast forward even beyond their adult sweet sort of set point, right. their sweet spot. And then they will gradually throttle back. So the school start time change, we were worried that if 
all because we can't start schools at different times for different age groups, much as I would like to. It's been hard enough to make the change because of the school bus unions. And I understand that. But, you know, we've put people on the moon. <laughs> I think we could do this thing called changing school start times. Yeah. We, we were worried, though, that if we put younger kids to school later, would it have an impact? The good sign was that it didn't change their academic grades or their performance. Mm. It didn't make them any better, but it certainly didn't make them any worse in terms of their performance. But for teenagers, my goodness, did it make a difference. Wow. Can you die of insomnia? Well, not of classic insomnia, but there is a very rare genetically inherited disorder. And when I say rare, you are far more likely to be struck by lightning in your lifetime than thankfully to get this disorder. It's called fatal familial insomnia. And I guess the first word in the title tells you what happens. Clues us in. It begins with a very mild form of insomnia, then it develops very quickly to a desperately severe form within about six months. Then that patient stops sleeping almost altogether. No amount of sedatives or medication that we can give can put them into even something resembling a sleep state. And usually after about 12 to 18 months, they will die of a lack of sleep. And we also know, you know, there were some terrible studies, and I say terrible, but they, in the 1980s, they looked at rats and they asked a question, will a rat die of a lack of sleep? Mm. Firstly, what they found is that rats will die almost as quickly from sleep deprivation as they will from food deprivation. That's how essential sleep is. They subsequently repeated those experiments, but now, I think rightly so. Mm. No one will ever repeat those experiments because ethically, I don't think that that's right. at all correct. And I'm someone who does human research. I don't do animal research just because that's my nature. I'm, I struggle with that. But I, I also understand that science has to do those types of things too. You know, part of the reason we all have vaccines right now is because of that type of work. So that was evidence that we saw in animal models very early on that a lack of sleep can kill an organism. It's now been replicated in numerous different species. And then the disorder of fatal familial insomnia gives us some clues that it most likely can happen in human beings as well. Wow. I Thank you. I'll be terrified now. I know. I'm realizing everyone's going to sort of be getting into bed tonight thinking, okay, it's taken me 10 minutes so far. Do I have that thing that he described where it's, no, I okay. promise you, okay. highly unlikely. Okay, good. So what are some of the things that we can do before bed to really optimize our environments for sleep or our chances of good sleep? And then I want to ask you a little bit about the data from the aura ring. So there are lots of things that we can try to do, and I'll sort of give you a laundry list. The first, I would say, the most important thing about sleep is regularity. Mm -hmm. Go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time, no matter whether it's the weekday or the weekend. Mm -hmm. Why? And regularity is king because our brain has sort of um, lodged within it, right in the center, a 24-hour master mm -hmm. clock. And it's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And it basically understands regularity and responds best to conditions of regularity. 
and it controls many of our rhythms, not just wake and sleep, but wake and sleep is absolutely one of them. Mm -hmm. And when you feed it regularity, it gifts you better sleep. It will anchor your sleep mm -hmm. and improve the quantity and the quality of that sleep. The next is try to be mindful of exposure to light at night. We are a dark deprived society in this modern era. And even in the last hour before bed, yes, computer screens, we all know about those and their harm on sleep, but try dimming down half of the lights or even three quarters of the lights in your home. Mm -hmm. And you will be surprised at how sleepy that can make you feel. Be a bit mindful of alcohol and caffeine. Mm -hmm. Both of them have marked deleterious impacts. Life is to be lived. I'm not suggesting that, you know, I'm going to wag fingers. Keep those in mind. A few other unconventional tips. The first is sex. Mm, I was going to ask you so, about this. Yeah, so it turns out that sex is a wonderful way to promote good sleep under the right conditions, of course. What if it's bad sex? Bad sex, it turns out, not so much. It has to be sex that accomplishes usually orgasm in both parties. Interesting. Now, you, it also works quite well with masturbation, too. So masturbation Girls, we have is, something for this. I know, I saw that. I was thinking, <laughs> it, it should say on it, get your best night's sleep ever. And then it just has this kind of like wobbling, yeah. Um, and so... I wanted to say that, but I was worried about medical claims, but now you're saying that. No, so. ab absolutely. Thank goodness this is not a public event and I'm not being taped. No, I'm kidding you. But, <laughs> but certainly we know that there is this idea that, you know, sex, and part of it comes back to the biology. Firstly, we release certain hormones, things like oxytocin, that can be very beneficial to calming you down. Mm -hmm. We also know that sort of post-coital there is a reduction in that fight or flight branch of the nervous right. system, which hopefully has been ramped up during sexual activity to sort of get you feeling that energy. But then you switch all the way over to the quiescent branch of the nervous system, and that's the one that will beckon sleep towards you. Mm. And sleep will not escape you when that system is bringing you back down again. So these are some of the wonderful things sort of that you can play around with, yeah. sex included. The other is warm baths and showers. Most of us, if you sort of have a, the luxury of a bath at night, you get out of the bath and you think, the reason I slept so well is because I was nice and warm and toasty. I jumped underneath the covers and that was me. It's the opposite, that your brain and your body need to drop their core temperature by about one degree Celsius or about two degrees Fahrenheit mm for you to fall asleep and stay asleep. And it's the reason you will always find it easier to fall asleep in a room that's too cold than too hot. Because a room that's too cold, as long as it's not too, too cold, right. it's taking you in the right temperature direction for good sleep. So now you're thinking, but hang on a second, hot baths, how does that work? When you get into that hot bath or the shower, all of a sudden when you finish, the blood has risen to the surface of the skin. So you get sort of that warm feeling on the outer surface of your skin. What that's doing is charming all of the heat that's trapped in the core of your body. So when you get out of the bath or the shower, you have this huge drop in core body temperature, and that's why you fall asleep, Maurice. So sex, masturbation, bath, and a shower, and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. 
sounds like my kind of night. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that on stage in that kind of combination. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. When it comes to putting together your home, a great rug can make all the difference. A rug is really what pulls a room together and creates harmony. Nordic Knots offers a curated collection of rugs and timeless, high-quality essentials. They collaborate with leading designers and are the insider rug brand gracing some of the world's most beautiful homes. They have a wide-ranging collection, but we'll just talk about a few favorites today. The luxurious Grand Collection is known for its simple design, stunning colors, and high-quality wool. But if you're feeling a bit more bold, their designer collaborations are made with world-renowned designers and interior architects. Their Goodweave certified rugs are handmade and woven in all natural materials, like their super soft and beautiful New Zealand wool. At Nordic Knots, they make the process of rug shopping easy and enjoyable. And they always offer fast and free shipping from the US. To explore their rug collections, head to nordicknots.com. Use promo code INNERCIRCLE to get free rug samples. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Talk to me a little about alcohol and what happens and how it, it affects our sleep. I, it's, it's interesting for me because I, when I lived in your lovely country of the United Kingdom, I was taught you drink seven nights a week. And so I was very happy doing that. And yeah. then did that for many years. And coming out of quarantine, I really have this, this year I've sort of dedicated, I've been doing kind of a, an experiment with my health and barely drinking at all. And I think it, the impact that it has on my sleep is incredible. Of course, I didn't have this as a control to look at before, but now yeah. I do. And so I'm just wondering what happens to us, to our sleep when we drink alcohol? And different kinds, because I'll notice if I have a glass of red wine and sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night, or if I have a spirit, you know, I just sleep more poorly throughout the night. That's right, yeah. So alcohol is probably the most misunderstood sleep aid that right. there is out there. And many people will turn to alcohol when typical over-the-counter remedies that mostly don't necessarily work or have a placebo effect have stopped working for them. Alcohol will harm your sleep in at least three different ways. First, alcohol is in a class of drugs that we call the sedatives. And sedation is not sleep. Mm. But when we have a couple of nightcaps in the evening, we mistake the former for the latter. We think that we're falling asleep quicker. All you're doing really is losing consciousness <laughs> more quickly. You're not going into naturalistic sleep because you know if i were to show you the, the the signature of your electrical brainwave activity with alcohol versus when you are au naturel they are quite different you you wouldn't mistake the two yeah so that's the first problem the second problem is that alcohol will fragment your sleep mm. so you typically will wake up many more times throughout the night and it litters your night with this sort of punctured set of awakenings the problem is that sometimes we don't remember waking up despite it increasing the frequency. Mm -hmm. And then we wake up the next morning, we don't feel restored or refreshed by our sleep, but we don't remember having a hard time falling asleep or even staying asleep, so we don't make the connection with the alcohol. Right. 
The third and final problem with alcohol is that it's very good at blocking your REM sleep or your rapid eye movement sleep, also known as dream sleep. Mm. And REM sleep is essential for things like learning and memory, creativity. REM sleep or dreaming is also um, an important part of our overnight therapy. Mm. That sleep and particularly dream sleep is a form of emotional first aid that we get. And we don't get that benefit without that REM sleep. The final thing is that it's during REM sleep when we release many of our critical hormones. So testosterone is a great example. Both men and women need testosterone. Right. And our peak levels of testosterone release happen during REM sleep. I did not know this. Wow. Same with growth hormone too. And in fact, there was a study where we looked at dosing people with just a standard amount of alcohol, probably just getting, getting to a point where they're a little bit tipsy. And then we looked at growth hormone throughout the night. And as a consequence, there was somewhere between a 30 to 40% deficit in the release of growth hormone at certain phases of sleep at night. So these are the ways that alcohol can mm. harm your sleep. The, once again, you know, I, I don't mean to sound sort of purity. I'm just a scientist. I'm not here to tell anyone how <laughs> to live. I just want to give you the sleep facts. Yeah. If I were to offer a suggestion, a non-politically correct one, it would be go to the pub in the morning and that way the alcohol is out your system by the evening and there's no harm, no foul. But I would never say that to you on stage. Absolutely not. Oh, I'm going to lose my job at the end of this. <laughs> Masturbation, sex and going to the pub in the morning. Yeah. I think we're going to be friends. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what? I don't know how many of you have an aura ring and... Yeah, a few of you, but I'm obsessed with this thing. But I, it tracks your sleep, your heart rate, your body temperature. But I'm confused about HRV. What is that? And why when it drops, is it a good thing? I, I'm confused. Yeah, so quick disclaimer, I am a scientific advisor to the company. So okay. um, tr take everything I say with a grain of salt. We will. But I've... I've collaborated with lots of sleep companies out there, and ultimately I decided I liked Aura for a number of reasons that I'm, I'm happy to speak about. And I was using it for two years before I even onboarded with them. So it tracks your sleep in your different stages of sleep. Heart rate is just simply the number of beats that your heart is emitting per unit of time. And it's usually beats per minute mm. of time. Heart rate variability is about the consistency versus inconsistency of those heartbeats. Okay. So is it someone who is walking in almost military-like fashion, one foot at, you know, in front of the other? That would be a very standard heartbeat with very little heart rate variability. Whereas if your sort of cadence is very choppy and chaotic, that would be high heart rate variability. Okay. So that's the difference, heart rate versus the variability of that rate of your heart. So you could have 60 beats per minute, but very consistently. So 60 beats of heart rate, but low variability and in your heart. And that's a good thing. And it's actually a bad thing. Oh. So it's a very confusing metric, and we don't quite understand why. Okay. We think it has something to do with how healthy and dynamic your mm -hmm. cardiovascular system is. Mm -hmm. That it's a proxy, it's a marker mm -hmm. of something about how capable, you know, think about someone who's really fit. You know, they could go all on or all off and their dynamic range 
is huge because they have that cardiovascular fitness. We think that this measure of heart rate variability is a bit of a marker of that kind of dynamic capacity. The reason we think it's important and good to have a high heart rate variability, despite it being good to generally have a low heart rate, is because it tracks with some great health outcomes. So it tracks with a healthy body weight, and it tracks with improved mental health, it tracks with better um, immune health. So we think of it almost as a universal barometer of several different health metrics. Mm. It's by no means you know, a definitive gold standard. No, it's just It's a good first yeah. approximation. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. So if tonight we are all in our collective beds and we're having difficulty falling asleep from stress or anxiety, what are the tools that you recommend? What do you do if you, or do you ever have trouble falling asleep? And if you do, what are the tools that you use? So I am not immune to the vagaries of this thing called (laughs) a bad night of sleep, especially as I'm now solidly in the foothills of middle age. I would say that there are a number of different things to do. Find out what works best for you and then stay at it. Create a wind down routine firstly. Many of us think of sleep like a light switch that we can just jump into bed, pull the covers over and sleep should happen instantaneously. Sleep is much more like landing a plane. You've got to gradually bring it down onto the terra firma of sound sleep at night. So find out what works for you. That could be light stretching, it could be reading, Meditation for me personally has proven to be very useful. So I know a lot of the companies out there, they would usually like you to meditate sort of in the morning or during the day. And then finally they realized if they look at their usage statistics, there was a huge spike right before people were going to bed. Mm -hmm. They were self-medicating their anxiety Mm -hmm. and their insomnia. Meditation is great too. The other thing to do is that if you're struggling to fall asleep or you've woken back up and you're struggling to stay asleep, I would offer two pieces of advice. The first is usually don't stay in bed for longer than 30 minutes awake. And the reason is because your brain is such a remarkably associative device, quickly it learns that the bed is this place where I'm usually awake. And so now every time you go into the bedroom after sort of repetitive experiences like that, you are triggered to be awake, where people say, look, I'm falling asleep watching you know, Netflix, and then I get into bed and I'm wide awake and I don't know why, because you've learned that association. And you should break that association by getting up, don't stay in bed awake, 
do something different, only when you're tired, return to bed. And so the analogy would be you'd never sit at the dinner table waiting to get hungry, so why would you lie in bed waiting to get sleepy? And the answer is that we shouldn't. Some people don't like that advice though because it's dark, maybe it's a little bit cold, I don't want to get out of bed. That's okay too, but with sleep, the harder you try, the worse you make it for yourself. It's a little bit like trying to remember someone's name. The harder you sort of force yourself, the further you push the name away from you. And only when you stop trying do you finally think, oh, that's the name. It's the same way with sleep. So if you're lying in bed and getting frustrated and getting anxious, firstly, remove all clock faces from the bed. It's not going to help anyone to know it's 4.38 in the morning <laughs> and I'm still not asleep. That's dead in the water for the next uh, two hours. But instead, think about it like this, to say, I'm just going to lie here and rest, and I'm just going to enjoy resting. Wouldn't it be lovely if during you know, the late afternoon when I'm at work, someone said, you know what, just come and lie down and just rest for an hour, and I'll keep paying. That sounds delicious to me. <laughs> but that's how you can think about sleep. If it's not happening, don't force it, don't worry. It's not the end of the world, despite everything that I've told you, and just think, I'm just gonna have a nice rest. It's gonna be a lovely rest. And then usually the next thing you remember is your alarm going off in the morning. Thank you for tuning into my chat with Matthew Walker. I hope you'll pick up a copy of his amazing book, Why We Sleep. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts.